Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, welcome to Sensual Self. I'm Evian Whitney, and this is a space for you to slow down, tune in, heal and feel the sensations and pleasures of your sensual body. Thank you for being here. Hey, everyone. I am so happy to be here with you again so happy to be in your ears. And um, I want to start this conversation by asking a question that I've been turning over in my head for the past few months. What is wellness? Like, what does wellness mean? What does wellness look like in practice? I've been having a really hard time answering this question. I mean, I know what I've been told and sold that wellness is. You know, it's expensive candles around a CBD-infused bath because literally everything (laughs) is CBD right now. It's exclusive 10-day retreats in Bali or Costa Rica. Wellness is a specific BMI and a certain level of spiritual enlightenment. It's healing yourself and all of your complex traumas in one fell swoop through watching someone's webinar. Wellness is hot yoga and juice cleanses and granola bars, or at least that's what this ad I heard on a podcast told me. (laughs) As an aside, I did a Google to see what comes up when I type in the word wellness, and here's what was on the front page. Pfizer which is a pharmaceutical company, Goop, because of course it is, and a dog food brand, because apparently our dogs need wellness too. If it sounds like I've got a whole attitude about this, it's because I do. (laughs) Wellness as a word, as a concept, has been so steeped in consumerism and capitalism that it's been very hard for me to think about it as an intimate practice for myself and also a standard of existence that should be available for everyone. I don't want to believe that wellness is about buying shit or becoming something you're currently not. And I also don't want to believe that wellness is for a specific group of people with a certain tax bracket. I mean, intuitively, I know it's much, much deeper than that. But what other models do we have of wellness right now outside of the very loud ads we see and hear on a daily basis, outside of the shiny and aesthetically pleasing products that are constantly enticing us with this copy to center our wellness, whatever that means. 
wellness has become more than a buzzword. It's become completely inaccessible to me and probably to you too. So what is wellness actually? And who is wellness for? To help us answer these questions and guide us into our own interrogation of the wellness industry, I have artist, poet, and author Fariha Roshin on today to talk all about wellness and also her book, Who is Wellness For? We talk about the wellness industrial complex and what true wellness is outside of the noise and distortion of capitalism and whiteness. We talk about self-care and the messy processes of healing. We talk about climate change because how can we even think about our personal wellness without considering how the pursuit of that is affecting the earth? And Fariha shares some wisdom about how we can be in right relationship with wellness, both for ourselves and for others. There are so many gems in this one, and I highly recommend that you take your time with this episode, as I recommend with all episodes of Sensual Self. You know, really pause and process the feelings that come up in your body through Fariha's words. I know that they brought up a lot for me as I was having this conversation with her. This is definitely an episode to listen to with your full attention, if possible. Oh, and I almost forgot, uh, this is the last episode of Sensual Self for this season. After this one, I'll be taking the summer to rest and dream up new discussions for you about sensuality, sexuality, healing, and sure, wellness. <laughs> so enjoy this conversation while it lasts, savor each moment, and uh, I'll be back in a bit with a practice for your sensual self in the meantime. Enjoy. Fariha, thank you so much for being on Sensual Self, and I'm so excited to chat with you today. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yes, I um, have been diving into your book, Who Is Wellness For?, and I've just been so excited that this book is coming into being, that you were the person that wrote this book. It's so important um, as someone who is both a part of the wellness industry and also sort of a participant of it as well. Um, I have so many feelings <laughs> about yeah. wellness and it was it was really beautiful to um, to read some of your thoughts and your feelings about it as well as um, just like, I don't know, I just, I felt so much vulnerability and rawness on the page. And I just, first off, just want to say thank you for this beautiful offering of a book that is both, it's it's both, I feel like an offering of the heart and also a call to action, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. yes, I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with my words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions, but I actually want to ask you before we get started, what does wellness as a word mean to you, for better or worse? Uh, yeah, without the without all of the ideas and all the packaging of wellness, I think wellness, the idea of being well, or the idea of well-ish, that that should mean something that's evident and possible for anyone. And I think that's sort of where the book kind of comes into question because I'm asking something even about how we think about wellness and what is wellness for all of us individually and then collectively. So yeah, it's a good question. And for me, at least it's, it's something that's accessible to everybody. Mm. I love that you said accessibility to, to everybody, because I've been thinking about what does wellness mean? You know, it's, it's become a word that has been used and 
I would say maybe abused <laughs> uh, because of um, just how much of an industry it's become. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, this question that I was going to ask you about, you know, what does wellness mean to you? And I was, I posed it to myself and I'm like, I don't know if I know, you know, I think, I think I have kind of a faint idea of what I want it to mean, but we're in a world and in a culture that tells us what wellness looks like, you know? And, um, I was finding it a little difficult to answer my own question because it's, there's just so much gunk that's been mm -hmm. caked on to that word. It's been, it's been difficult for me to like get to the root of what it actually means. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's how it evades a lot of us because we don't have to think that deeply about it, especially if, you know, we're participating in it, in it. And a lot of us are, um, I say I am, of course, I, I am participating in it because it, it's still not accessible to so many. And, mm. and yet at the same time, I would also argue that for someone like me, I wouldn't be here if I didn't participate in it. I wouldn't be alive if I hadn't have found wellness protocols or um, wellness uh I guess just like examples and, and practices that I was able to adopt at a really young age that helped me survive and that helped me sort of get to where I am now. Um, it's sad that we, we, for those of us who can't afford to take care of ourselves or to be well, um, I think a lot of us get bought by capitalism. A lot of us get bought by um, the belief that like, and it's, and it's not like, it's not a true belief, but it's like, I think like the, the, the issue with capitalism is that it just, it just takes over and, mm -hmm. and then there's no consideration of anything else. You know, I, I, the danger that we all fall prey to is the fact that like capitalism makes these things like so alluring, you know, of course we should be able to take care of ourselves. Of course we should be able to, you know, spend on things that our bodies need in order to be well but i and then at the same time i come back to not only is it not accessible but it also comes from people that don't have access to it by and large and right. who can't afford these resources but it's their cultural and and religious and spiritual heritage so it's it's that much more complicated and it, the con the convolutedness in which we kind of navigate wellness is so much a construct of the wellness industrial complex. Like they want us to not really think that deeply mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I want to ask, um, just because as a writer, I'm always so curious about the inspiration or, or sort of the catalyst that brought you to want to write this book. I mean, I see this as a creation of you. Um, I just wrote a book and it's like a baby for me. And so I'm like, I want to know how and why people created their babies too. So what was it that like really prompted you or just sort of catapulted you into wanting to write a book about wellness? Um, I started writing about wellness and self-care as constructs in 2014. And I very much like looked to the works of Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, which for me are sort of the like, the, I guess, really important spokespeople for how self-care even became a thing in the first place. Like they mm -hmm. both wrote really diligently um, about the practice and process of self-care, you know? Um, and like throughout throughout their lives, there was a consideration and a questioning, especially because Audrey died of cancer and, and like was all like even in the cancer journals, which is an incredible book, um, you know, there's like this like push and pull between um, like, like life questions, like big life questions pertaining to death. But then there's also like a lot of profound questions about what it means to be a person in those times specifically. And I guess I just like really saw my writing 
and wanted my writing to be in conversation with the unknown and with the things that are unsaid. And I, I wasn't really seeing writing like that anymore in the way, you know, of this sort of certain lineage. Um, and like, I don't know, I think writing about illness and writing about pain and writing about grief, as well as writing about self-care and wellness, they're, they're two sort of, they, they need each other in a lot of ways because, you know, at least for me and, and in my life, like so much of my trauma was the gateway to like beauty and was the gateway to just like actually taking care of myself. And so I think all of, for all of those reasons and all of those different kinds of inspirations, I was able to just be like, this is the kind of writing I want to pursue. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. As I'm, as I am reading your book, I, I think the reason why it speaks to me so much is because what you said is so true that, um, I mean, and I haven't read every single book on the face of the planet, but I feel like there is an earnestness. I don't know if that's a word, but there's there's a there's an aspect of being earnest in the way that you tell your story and the ways that you are questioning and working to dismantle and decolonize wellness that I also don't see that often. Mm. And um yeah, it just it just feels like your voice feels so raw and so real while also just imploring us to to question these things that mm-hmm. seem like a given for us, you know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I yeah, I think the earnestness is something that you're right. I don't see very often in writing even and like um in a way that sort of questions and challenges my, I question and challenge myself a lot too. And I think that that's really important. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I want to be a participant in culture and help ask those questions that others aren't asking about something that's larger and bigger than just us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me in your writing of this book um, was that you were so, I don't know if generous is the right word, but that's what's coming up for me. Like you were so generous in sharing the pain and the trauma and um, the messy process of you healing from the abuse that you experienced from your childhood. And I was, as I was reading this, I was like, First of all, I was just like, God damn, this is a lot, you know? Like it's a lot. I just – my heart was just so full and I, I just I just felt for you just thinking about like how can this – how can one human being take in like all of this as an experience, you know? So my my heart was just – I said my heart was full, but it was it was like broken. Um, and then the, there's this other thing that happened in my brain where I was like, I, I felt kind of shocked that you went there because it would have been so easy. And I think we've seen this in other books or or other offerings that people have given us that you could have just like not gone there. You could have just been like sitting on a pedestal sort of and being like, here is my interpretation or my perspective of what the wellness industry is and why it's broken and why it's flawed. Like you could have easily done that. And I just felt really like I, I felt shocked and relieved, I think, that you brought some humanity to something that, I don't know, sometimes wellness feels so, I, I don't know, that the, the image that's coming to mind is like very glossy, like behind a glass door. It's like, it looks beautiful. There's like mirrors and lights, like wellness is is shown to us as that. And I felt that the way that you just sort of like cracked that glass door, cracked that mirror and had us see like, no, this is fucking wellness, y'all. <laughs> like, I know you want to think that it is face mask and $85 <laughs> candles, but like if we're if we're gonna talk about wellness, we have to talk about this. I'm just like prattling on. Um, my question, I guess, is just like what, why, why was it that it felt important to you to include 
your messy process because like you totally didn't have to and a lot of people just don't, you know? (laughs) Yeah, because I wanted that humanity. Like I think that that's something that I have that's a gift to bring the humanity into situations and to also show that it's not, I think like the the kind of writing that's also on a pedestal and sort of like pointing fingers, it's not interesting to me. Mm, It's, you know, it's not because like we are all complicit. We are all part of it. And, and we, in order to really look at it in a way that's actually like profound to me is to be like, this is how I also fail. And this is also how I've, um, this is the very messy and real aspects of my life that have brought me here to this immense revelation. And so I think that as much as like the work is the, like, I think the early chapters are quite hard. I think by the end of the book and sort of towards the like middle half, it becomes more like about facing sort of the more like, yeah, profound and beautiful aspects of it. But something that while you were speaking, you know, that glass door that you're talking about, I mean, I also had to talk about whiteness Mm. and whiteness has bought wellness. And so that's why your idea of it, even our idea of wellness is that it's like this like pristine thing that when it's actually not, and it actually never was. And it was really quite an inclusive reality for people. And like being well shouldn't be something that is exclusive. Mm. It's it's ridiculous and inhumane for us to live in a time in the world where people don't have something as simple and basic as universal healthcare. So when you live in a country that encourages that reality that says, no, actually, it's actually not our responsibility, then everything doesn't isn't their responsibility, including community care, including actually like showing up for the people that you live next to. And why is it that we have such extreme wealth juxtaposed against, you know, some of the most hostile and in 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 like awful conditions possible in this country? Like it's it says a lot about that void between, you know, those two realities. And I think again, um, capitalism goes so hand in hand with whiteness that there's a mirage that they've created, you know, like this is what you should want and this is what you should aspire for, believing, making us think yet again that if we buy into this, then we can, you know, achieve a sense of like, I don't know, like whatever they have, but it's, 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 it's not, we don't actually want it because it's all a lie. Yes. And so to, to go back, I think to me, so much of what this country needs is to go back to the original foundation and like start to do that work ground up. I don't actually think that there's any other way. And so similarly with wellness, you have to kind of go back to yourself and start to see, okay, like how do I, how am I participating? How am I complicit? Where do I have more responsibility? And obviously if you're a white person, there's so many other steps that you need to be taking and I think the book just had to show, like, I wanted it to be an invitation mm. as I didn't want it to just be something where it's like, you guys suck. And like, you ruined <laughs> half the world, you ruined everything. That would have been the book that I wrote. <laughs> like, who was wellness for? Not you people. Wellness is for the brown, the black, the tra- like, that would have been me, but that's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. That's why you wrote and the book. That not book me. needs to be written as well. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just. I think there also needs to be a book that's sort of like, yeah, more an invitation and inviting sort of hand to, and nothing is sugarcoated, nothing is sugarcoated, but it's like, I can look you in the eye and tell you, you know, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm trying to look people in the eye and be like, here, this is how we're both responsible. Yes. And also naming that that responsibility isn't actually on all of us equally but we all have to take responsibility nonetheless. Like it's both and. And so, yeah, that's a long answer to your question. No, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Actually, when you were speaking and you mentioned whiteness, something dinged in my head about, you know, like going back to the reason why I couldn't really answer that question of like, Mm. what does wellness mean? I think because it's been so convoluted 
by whiteness. Like Mm -hmm. I can't hear the word wellness and I hate this, but I can't hear the word wellness without thinking about Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop. And that's like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop isn't the only manifestation of wellness. I would would argue that Goop isn't really a manifestation of wellness at all. But I mean, that's that's for another a topic for another time. But I I I, I want to be in a place within both like the personal work that I do and also the professional work that I do as someone who gets lumped into this category of like wellness, um, a, a wellness expert or a wellness educator, whatever, where I can hear that word and it has been decolonized from whiteness. And totally. I don't I don't know if that is possible in this lifetime because I feel like the deeper we go into what you describe and talk about in your book, the wellness industrial complex, which I would love to have you define that for us here today. But I feel like the deeper that we go into it, the deeper we're getting into whiteness and goop and $200 CBD lubes that are supposed to like heal our sexual trauma. Like it's just, I'm just ranting. (laughs) this point. But yeah, that's that's what came up for me as I was I was hearing you speak. I think the book, you know, like I am very much sort of pivoting a lot of my work into writing about ecology and thinking a lot about ecocide. And I think that the only way that we can all get on the same page is if we realize that we are on the brink of extinction. Mm. Like it's so bad. It's so bad. And I think we think we have this idea of like, you know, life continues, (laughs) Russia invades Ukraine. Like everything is like just as normal, but I don't think we see like all the collapsing fragments that are happening. And this earth is showing us that she can't take it anymore and she will stop things. And, and the pandemic was just, I think, For me, astrologically, it was just a beginning of something Mm. that's immensely pivotal in the evolution of our species, I believe. And so I actually think, and this is why the book is a call to action, as you you pointed out, to me, it's like, not only do we not have time to not believe in what is possible, but in fact, that we actually have to believe that everything is possible Mm. and that like our imagination against white supremacy needs to actually like be so high. Like we have to be thinking of that utopia and those, you know, dream portals for people because I do think it's possible. And I think that like something like abolition, the fact that it like became mainstream, like people know what fucking abolition is. Yeah. That is to me a significant sign of the times are changing. And it does, I know it doesn't, it feels so glacial and it doesn't feel like enough, but I do think that the times ahead of us are really dark and we have a lot to actually face. And I don't think that this work is actually, I think that a lot more people don't realize that it's just, it's, uh, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. I think that the earth is just going to show us a lot. And um, so I'm trusting her and I'm taking her guidance. And I, that's why I feel like I've just become a defender of the earth now. And like, that's sort of where I see my, like my passion. And it's how I kind of see this like light that, you know, this torch that I'm bearing. It's, it's for the belief that we have to protect this planet. Yes, yes. Oh, I I wholeheartedly agree. And it's like it's fucking scary, you know? Like um Yeah. Like I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I'm also feeling in my own body just like the fear of that. Like we are on a planet that is sick of our bullshit and will sure enough extract us from it in order to um save itself. Like mm-hmm. that is both terrifying. And also I like what you said about trusting the guidance of the earth, like just like going with the earth's flow as opposed to, 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe you are collapsing into fear. My first thing to do is like collapse into fear of like, oh, wow, Armageddon and the apocalypse and things like that. But I think, yeah, I think that there's – we can't talk about wellness if we're not also talking about how we're treating and taking care of the earth that we live in. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost. I mean, so many things get lost in this conversation of wellness – um, but I think that's one of the big ones. There's there's mm-hmm. something that you talk about in your book um, about how like wellness is seen as an individual thing that we are all to aspire to, achieve, and like get to. But we rarely think about wellness as like, okay, but if I'm well, how can I make other people like well with me? Or like I'm not well unless – my community around me as well, like this collective wellness that that's just so important. Um, yeah, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that. But also, actually, I'd love for you to define the wellness industrial complex because when I heard that, I was like, oh, yes, this is exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, much like the prison industrial complex, it is a – you know, it's a it's a system that is um, held up by capitalism and relies on, in in the case of wellness, to extract from the global south in order to feed the north and to in order to feed sort of the west's consumption and greed, and that um, process of extraction and and process of um, trade that is unfair on every demographic and even things like I I sort of talk about this in the book too like you know there's been a lot of union laws that have protected American citizens but then those companies go to the global south they go to China they go to Bangladesh Mm. to make cheap labor and then you know the unions that are protecting people's livelihood in America aren't considering the sort of impact and the ways in which like we are like actually responsible for so much and that it can't just be we're thinking about climate in America. We have to be thinking about climate everywhere because the earth is an example that we all share one space and, and we actually need and rely on each other. And we, and we have, um, of course we have, um, uh, necessary means of, of, I don't know, I think like existing with one another, it's something that capitalism has also like really obstructed for us because now we feel like we don't actually need one another. We just need ourselves Mm. or we just need sort of a good life or a good family or, you know, a good partner. And then my children, like it's become, you know, removing sort of that community bond or like the extended family and becoming just very sort of like, you know, the, the two person households, you know, like the very traditional that has then, yeah, really kind of put into the public and society an idea that reliance upon others, your neighbors or your community is actually like, poor Mm. like you know it's it's like really sort of trying to bring like again this elitism of like you only need yourself so the more money you have the more you just have to think about yourself but then we're seeing people with immense amounts of money that are not happy that are just completely sad and and are addicted and you know have have addiction sorry have addictions but also what's the word like just they're not they're clearly not happy yeah and to me it's like how are we not using that as an example of like there's clearly some thinking and processing that we're still that we still have to do as a society to figure out what is wellness for all of us it can't just be this like capitalist idea of what's well and that's what they're trying to sell to all of us yeah yeah what do you think that we can do as participants in this wellness industrial complex 
um, for better or worse, like how can we be more involved in holding the wellness industry accountable? And then also how, how do you imagine that we can be in right relationship with wellness? And I know as I ask that question, I'm like, that's like trying to be in right relationship with white supremacist, patriarchal capitalism. Like we are literally in the soup. I don't even know if that's possible, but I just wonder if, um, if anything's coming to mind for you about that. I'll answer the first part first, because I think that that's really interesting because I think you can be right in right relationship with wellness. I think Vedic scholars who like were thinking about yoga and thinking about meditation and thinking about the construction of the human mind, they weren't trying to just make it information that they had. They were, they, they, they were making it evident and possible for other people. So I think that, you know, it's not, it's not so much not participating. It's making sure that you're working. If you're a yoga student, for example, really considering how much money are you giving back to Indian farmers, um, Indian indigenous folks that, um, that are being removed from their homelands by the Indian government. You know, there was a farmer strike from like to 2020, to 2021, Mm -hmm. that was the biggest, I think, strike in the world. Um, And these farmers are the farmers that get us ashwagandha, that get us the turmeric that we use, that get us the ginger. This is these, get us the cardamom. Like these are the the people that we rely on for a billion dollar industry. And they're fighting against the Indian government because they're not being protected. What does that say? about them mm. and how much they are being extracted, their labor and their work and their, and, and honestly, it's sad because like a lot of these families also are, it's generational work. It's the work that their ancestors were doing, that they were living off of, that they were able to take care of their families with. And now <clears throat> that relationship has completely changed. And so I think that there is an immense responsibility, especially if any kind of white owned company that works with indigenous medicines from across the world is not specifically to um india but uh you know so this this kind of extraction is happening um, immensely all over and so i think that in itself that that idea of extraction needs to be challenged and Mm we need to start putting pressure on people that we know and put, putting pressure on the goops to be like, what are you doing? Like, what is, how much are you giving back? Because again, like, okay, great. We should, if we're in, in, in the feet of us all wanting to be well, everyone should have access to it. Then it's good that this, this conversation is more relevant and possible, not just to you and me, that it's possible and accessible to anyone wherever, like anyone who reads my book or listens to this podcast is now able to think about these things. Mm. That's really cool. So the more that that conversation um, extends, the more people will be able to like question what is wellness for them. At the same time, I think what needs to happen is that we actually need to start putting, um, yeah, real pressure and having those real conversations where it's not just also talking about how do we make money? How do we build a brand? How do we do whatever? It's actually being like, how can we ethically be in right relationship? I think that conversation actually needs to happen on every level. Mm. Like how are we in right relationship with the turmeric that we're sourcing? How are we in right relationship with the cardamom farmer? How are we um, making sure that, um, you know, like if we are um, making a $200 CBD cream that helps you do X, Y, and Z, that we're actually, you know, um, trying to work with people that like, there's there's like incredible, uh, organizations now I can't remember off the top of my head that are doing immensely important legal work by like helping black men, brown men that are still in jail for petty crimes, you know, 
usually having marijuana, like these things need to be addressed. Like you can't be having a company that's a million dollar company and not actually be thinking about how am I actively helping my community and actually making sure that I'm considering how I exist in community, Mm. which means like looking outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that I just think hasn't happened yet. Like we're just here to make money and we're not thinking about like, how does that impact everyone around us? Right. Right. Yeah. What I also am hearing in your response is like, it, it starts with also ourselves asking ourselves, like, what relationship do I have with my own wellness? You know, like, mm-hmm. what are the ways that I might have been dissociated from the power that I have to keep myself well or to take care of myself? Like, I think about that a lot. Um, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about like even in in my own experience, like what what relationship do I have with making myself well, and what are the what are the misperceptions or falsehoods that I've been given about like what wellness needs to look like, um, and I feel like wellness and self care go really hand in hand. Um, so I'm even thinking about that, like how self-care has turned into this like fucking buzzword to, yeah. again, sell us shit that we need to do to demonstrate that we are self-caring. And so, yeah, I'm thinking about like, ah, oh, what are the ways that like I have been sold this idea that self-care is in a product or to have a company tell me that this is what I need in order to take care of myself yeah, th- these are just questions that are coming up for me right now. And it's 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 making me think just like how potent and vibrant this conversation is and also like how virtually no one is really having it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much that I could say about self- self-care being bought and this idea of self care being tied and tethered completely to capitalism. Mm. And for me, the way that I have kind of extricated myself from that is by reminding myself that self-care is free and self-care should be free. And that when I'm sort of expecting or like, you know, putting pressure on myself to like, you know, buy something nice for myself because I achieved something, Um, I'm trying to reframe that and be like, what can I do for myself that doesn't cost me anything? Mm. And so something recently, because I have pretty bad IBS that I've had since I was 14, and my body has always been in revolt, which is also one of the major reasons I think I started writing this book. Like, I needed to understand how to be well, like, actually. And so only recently, I'm 32, so I've had this for more than half my life, I've begun to understand something as simple as like eating kitchery, um, like over many, many days. And kitchery is like a blend of lentils and uh, basmati rice. I've heard of it. It sounds so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And it's the food of my ancestors. I, mm. I, I I was raised on this food and I hated it because it was so bland and so boring. But the older I got, and really on, honestly, just recently, like I, I started eating Ayurvedically a, a couple of years ago, and it's been a process of sort of bringing that into my life. And um Kitri is, is, is an Ayurvedic dish that helps you um, reset your body. And so it completely, you know, if you've been having, you know, stomach pains or if you've just like drunk too much alcohol, or if you've just been overeating, it's, it's a really good just like reset, especially if you've been eating too much meat or whatever. And it's something as simple as that. Like, I'm just going to make myself Kitri a pot of kitchery every week. I'm going to make my own ghee and cook it by myself, you know, do everything by myself like my ancestors would have. And I'm going to feed myself, even though it feels like the opposite of what I think for me personally, what's taking care of myself would often has something to do with food. Like I want to go out and I want to have a really good meal and I want to have a glass of wine. And that's how I see like treating myself. And then a couple of months ago, my therapist asked me, why is you treating yourself 
always things doing things that will harm your body later Mm. like drinking or you know and and like eating like dairy or like whatever I'm like craving (sighs) you know why is it that that's what I actually want and that's what taking care of myself is when I actually don't feel good afterwards And that was a really big like moment of like, holy shit, right? Like I can actually crave the things that are good for me. Mm. Whoa. And just that small sort of like reframe has really helped me recently. Like not, I think, fall into, again, I think the pressure of capitalism to like go on caviar and order myself something because I'm like, it's so much easier not to actually cook for myself when in fact, the reality for me and my body is that if I cook for myself, I'm always happier. And that's the negotiation. Wow. What you just said just brought me back to, <laughs> I, I have a really, really bad pastry habit. People who've listened to my podcast know this about me. I love anything that is a baked sweet good. I will put it in my mouth. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, you just saying that just now is reminding me of all the times where I've had a really, really hard day or like I've been really anxious or I'm feeling depressed. And I actually did this a couple of weeks ago. I I baked a cake. I was like, I'm baking this super dense and delightful devil's food cake. It's like the best chocolate cake I've ever had in my life. And that process of cooking and, and baking is very tactile for me. It helps me come into my body. But also eating it doesn't often make me feel good. I'm very sensitive to sugar and caffeine. So I can only have like small bites. Otherwise, like my blood pressure goes straight up or like I feel just absolutely high (laughs) because I've had too much, too much chocolate. And um, yeah, you just saying that was like a gentle call in for me to think about the ways that I, I also associate taking care of myself with things that are going to make me feel bad later. Like last night, I had way too much ice cream. I should not be eating ice cream. And I was so bloated and gassy, but I'm like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, well, that's just part of part of the process. Beauty is pain, as they say. But it's like, whoa, wait, but what if it's not though? What if it's not? What if it doesn't have to be like that? And that, you know, and it's so, and I think that so much of like what I think about on the daily is like, what if we just sort of like look, stop looking at that from that point of angle and just looked at it from there? Like, what if we just shifted it? Like, just even, a, even in a small way, you would be then looking at something entirely different and that would help you understand it differently. But I mm. think like, where people that we get told things from a little, from a young age about what we like and about who we are. And so I think our sense of identity and safety is so tied to those ideas of who we once were that maybe are no longer serving us. And like, yeah, what does it mean if the thing that you're craving or the thing that brings you release is something that at the end of the day, you can't really put into your body. Like there's a metaphor there. Mm. Ooh, I'm going to be sitting with this for a while because, um, yeah, that just blew my mind. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, as as we close this conversation, I want to ask you, like, as a queer brown person living in this wild, fucked up world that we live in, working to dismantle and decolonize wellness – amongst many other things, because I know wellness is tied to so much. What are the ways that you take care of yourself? Like, how do you nourish yourself? And um, what does, what does, what are some wellness practices that you engage in to keep yourself grounded? Um, I also remembered one of the um, organizations that I really love, Last Prisoner Project, that it's helping um, give legal aid to a lot of um, folks in jail for crimes um, pertaining to marijuana. So just wanted to oh, say that. Yes, thank you. Okay, how I ground is I pray every day and my relationship to God is one of the most profound, if not the most profound relationship that I have. Um, 
I, you know, because of the ways that my life have turned out, I've had, I've just been really isolated and alone and I've needed to find safety in myself and in my aloneness. And so spirit and divine has really helped me ground and tether myself to something and believe that I have a larger purpose. Um, and I think that's, you know, so much of why I'm alive and that process alongside prayer and pulling tarot and pull tarot every day. Um, that practice has really helped me, um, like understand the intricacies and the, the magic of the, of the world and of the each day and of the time, because there's so much energy right now. Yes. And to be able to see it in the cards is really helpful. Cause I'm like, okay, I get it. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then I cook a lot. I cook, I cook as much as I possibly can each week. And I have recently been just paying attention to like the small things like, am I eating too much meat? Am I actually, do I need to just like not um, drink for a while? And, and really just allowing my body to be the roadmap because I think a lot of, a lot of us have um, really responsive bodies that we then teach to dull those sensations yep. because we don't actually want to pay attention. That's right. And I think, you know, it has been really profound for me to actually start to listen to what my body is saying and be like, oh, okay, yeah. What if I didn't drink caffeine today? Mm -hmm. Like, what if that that's actually my body saying, hey, I don't like this. What if I like actually paid attention while I'm in the process of doing it and stopped instead of being like, let me just finish this. And then, you know, then I'll figure it out. And usually inevitably by the time I finish like that glass of wine or that glass of coffee, I feel so shit anyway that I I'm so beyond, like I'm disassociated from myself. So I think it's just like finding presence, finding safety in myself. That's been really, really, that's been like a four year journey that I've been on. And um, yeah, it's actually been probably the most significant self-care practice that I've been able to adopt mm. into my life that's really helped. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing those things and for reminding me and everyone else who's listening of like the power of simplicity, you know. Um, I think one thing that comes up for me a lot around taking care of myself is that it just feels like there's so much to do and I think that that also comes from capitalism too. Like there's the, like you have to buy so many things and there's so many steps and it has to be convoluted and, you know, complex and, and have all these different things with it. And um, I just really appreciate you giving us permission to like simplify that process. Like there is magic in cooking yourself a good meal. Like that is self-care. It may not look as glamorous or or Instagrammable as I think wellness has been sold to us as looking mm -hmm. like, but um, but it's okay for us to seek those things that um that can help us come back home to ourselves. And that is that is a private act, you know, it's not something that mm -hmm. somebody else needs to gaze upon or affirm or validate. Um, yeah, I just, I've learned so much from this conversation. I am so deeply enjoying your book. I cannot wait for my copy to come in the mail. I pre-ordered. Um, and I want you to tell folks how they can, you know, find your book. Um, I know it's going to be coming out really, really soon. So yes, how can we support you and um, tell us where we can, we can get your book. Thank you for this conversation. It's been, it's been really important for me to like synthesize my thoughts. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate just being able to talk to you about everything. Mm. Um, so to support my book, I would say go to any local bookstore and um, pre-order it. Or you can also, I have on my website, freeharoshin.com. I have um, uh, like 
a tab for who is wellness for and then there's like bookstores in london bookstores in sydney bookstores in montreal that i've just like put that for anyone who's like in those cities they can like pre-order it there as well and um indie bound is also a good one for online just type in who is wellness for and you will find me amazing and is there anywhere else folks can find you on the internet if they want to follow your work or your art or anything Yes, um, you can find my newsletter um, at fariharoshin.substack.com. And then um, you can find me on Instagram, fariha underscore Roshin. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing, you're doing fabulous. You're doing great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to make sure to put links to get your book in the description or in, in the show notes of this episode. And yes, thank you so much again for this labor of love and this call to action that you've created in this book. Um, like I said, I've I've already been changed by it as I've been changed by this conversation. So I just really appreciate you. I really appreciate you too. And I'm really grateful that you gave me so much time. And I hope that we meet in person. Yes, I would like that. Anytime <laughs> you think you'll be coming out to LA, just let me know. I live here. <laughs> oh, you're in LA? <laughs> Why did I think I, that you were in Brooklyn? Because I moved in September. Oh. And so I've been here since September. Oh my God, let's get together. How yeah. fun. That's so yeah. cool. This whole time I thought you were in Brooklyn. Okay, this is exciting. Then we can we can meet up in person sometime. I would soon. love that. Okay. Yes, more soon. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Mm. That conversation was so thought-provoking and expansive. Um, And what you didn't get a chance to hear, because we stopped recording by then, was the excited realization that Fariha and I are neighbors. Like, we literally live walking distance from each other, which was such a pleasant surprise. Um, it has been a great joy for me to get to know Fariha in the IRL space around our neighborhood. And it probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this little podcast. So shout out to Sensual Self for existing. <laughs> oh man. But seriously though, um, I am so appreciative of Fariha's light like the literal light she is shining to help us illuminate our path out of the deep, dark, dissociative space that is white supremacist patriarchal capitalism at these intersections of wellness and liberation. So grateful to Fariha. Thank you so much. And y'all, please check out Fariha's book, Who is Wellness For? It is part memoir, part journalistic investigation, that explores the ways that wellness culture has become a luxury good built on the wisdom of black, brown, and indigenous people while simultaneously ignoring and excluding them. It is beautiful and medicinal and truly required reading for anyone who wants to be or is helping others be well, which I think is all of us. I hope it's all of us. Who is Wellness For? releases on June 24th. Uh, And you can get your copy wherever you find books. Uh, But I always suggest independent bookstores because they're the best and they need us more now than ever. I don't know about you, but this conversation with Fariha really inspired me to think deeper about my relationship with wellness both personally and professionally, as a facilitator, as a healer, as an educator, and a teacher. I'm really thinking of all the ways I've unknowingly perpetuated the wellness industrial complex because, you know, I've been sold the same glittery aesthetics as you have. And I don't want to judge myself too harshly for that, um, as I don't think you should judge yourself if you're experiencing the same realizations about the ways you've participated in and perpetuated wellness culture. But I do think it's our responsibility to look inward and begin to orient ourselves to ways and practices we can engage in to be better, 
to be more mindful and to go beyond the shiny surface of wellness. Like what does it look like to decolonize wellness? That is a question I'm going to be coming back to for a while, thanks to this conversation with Fariha and reading her book. Another question I want to be thinking about and I would love to offer to you is what does it mean for you to be well? What does that look like, that wellness look like in practice? What would that feel like in your body? Like what does it feel like to be well? I want us to think about every aspect of our lives with this, how we want to feel, the relationships we want to cultivate, the way we like to be spending our time and our energy, the closeness we'd like to nurture within our own bodies, the boundaries we might need to put into place to keep us well. But I also want us to think about the footprints we're leaving behind as we're on this pursuit of wellness and feeling good. I want us to be thinking about the food we're eating, you know, like where that food is grown and raised, the workers who is packaging and delivering this food to us. I want us to be thinking about the clothes we wear, you know, who made them and were they made by people who are feeling well too? I want us to be thinking about the people we come into contact with on a daily basis. Like, are we leaving these people we're interacting with in better shape than when we found them? Are we seeing these people in their humanity from the houseless person on the street to the people we share a home with? I also want us to be thinking about the ways we are actively helping our communities to be well. What actions are we taking to help folks around us feel and find the same ease, pleasure, and wholeness we strive to find for ourselves? And throughout all of these explorations, I want us to think about the ways we could be doing better, the ways we could be making different choices that are in alignment with our standard of wellness for ourselves and or the ways we could be supporting the folks who do this kind of work better than we can do. Now, I know this is a lot, and you might not have clear answers to these questions or easy ways to take action. That's okay. The fact that we're even entertaining this and questioning it for ourselves is movement in the direction of dismantling the oppressive systems that have bewitched us into seeing ourselves as separate from each other. And I'll be doing this too. You know, I'll be asking myself these questions um, and letting you know how it goes. Until then, thank you for being willing to do this great work. And thank you for listening to Sensual Self. As a reminder, I will be taking a break from the podcast for a few months to rest and lounge in the sun and luxuriate in the pleasures of my sensual body, as well as prepare for the new season. <laughs> so in the meantime, feel free to revisit or discover previous Sensual Self episodes. We've got all kinds of conversations, if you're new here, with brilliant humans about pleasure, sexual identity, gender, embodiment, sensuality, of course. Each episode is incredible, if I may say so myself, including the ones before this podcast was named Sensual Self. So have fun exploring and uh, have a great summer. I'll be back very soon. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people around you and um, be well. Sensual Self is created and hosted by me, Evian Whitney. It is edited by myself and Tribble. Music is by Melody Symphony from his song, Just Healing. For show notes, transcripts, and resources for your sensuality, go to evianwhitney.com slash podcast. You can also follow the show on Instagram at sensual.self. I'm on Instagram at evian.whitney 
And you can check out evianwhitney.com to find out more about me and my work. Also, check out my book, Sensual Self Prompts and Practices for Getting in Touch with Your Body. You can find that wherever you find books. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you in the next one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.